Hi everyone, it's Ryan Hoover, your host of Product Hunt Radio, where I'm joined by the founders, investors, and makers that are shaping the future of tech. Today, I'm joined by Joel Gascoigne, CEO of Buffer, a simple tool to manage all your social media accounts. I'm a huge fan of the product. I've actually been a paying customer for years. A lot of my teammates at Product Hunt use it. And on the podcast, we chat about Buffer's extreme openness. Joel is probably one of the most vulnerable, transparent CEOs you'll find. We also discuss what it's like to manage an 80-person, fully distributed team, and how the company bought out their investors last year in a really unorthodox way. But before I jump in, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors. We all know you didn't start a business to track financial statements and make cash flows as spreadsheets. Probably not the most fun thing for most founders, I'm sure. Using Pilot for bookkeeping gives you back the freedom to focus on your business. Every month, your dedicated account manager will send you an accurate, detailed financial report. Pilot does accrual-based bookkeeping in QuickBooks Online, so you're never locked into their single platform. Plus, you'll work with the same person each month, so you can rely on them to become an expert in your business. With Pilot, you can say goodbye to exporting CSV files and emailing attachments to a bookkeeper that you can never get a hold of. And the first 100 signups will get 20% off Pilot Core for six months if you go to pilot.com slash product hunt. So I know that a lot of our listeners are managers at companies, and being a manager is super tough. You might spend a lot more time tracking projects through text threads, email chains, constant meetings, than actually getting your own work done. Monday.com is a team management platform that helps you plan, organize, and track the projects no matter what industry you're in. See who's doing what and the status of all your projects and tasks. The tool is super easy to use so your team can get started in minutes. Visit monday.com slash product hunt today to get a 30-day free trial. Hi, Joel. How's it going? Good. Thanks, Ryan. How are you? I am doing well. It's uh, it's it's been a while since I've seen you in person. I never know where you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has been. It has been a little while. I think last time was in San Francisco, some somewhere when I was visiting. But yeah, I need to make that happen again sometime soon. Yeah, and where are you right now? I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Um, been here for uh, almost a year and sticking around for a little bit longer. So I, I travel a lot. So it's kind of like I feel like I'm never here for more than maybe a month without going somewhere else but um it's nice to have a base yeah yeah so for those that maybe aren't as familiar with your background and maybe buffer and everything that you've been working on can you give a maybe a background on, on yourself and, and what you've been building yeah absolutely so i am co-founder and ceo of, of buffer and been doing this for about eight and a half years now and Buffer is a platform to, to help small businesses with social media. Um, so we have three different products uh, right now. Um, we have our kind of flagship product, which is Publish, for posting content to uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. And then we have uh, two newer products. Uh, one is called Reply, and that's for doing customer service, community management via social media, and then we have a product called Analyze as well, which is uh, for social analytics and everything there. And really where we're heading is we want to be the the platform to help you build your brand and do all the different things that contribute to building up your brand and, and the benefits that come with that. So we see that as, you know, you've got to be posting content. You've got to be engaging with anyone that comments on or uh, on content or gets in touch in, with customer service and then you want to be analyzing the ROI and tweaking your approach and things yeah and so we are our team is uh, we're also a fully distributed team so completely remote we don't have an office anywhere 
Um, we're about 85 people at this point. Whoa, uh, you're up to 85. Yeah, it's been That's fun. Big. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been a, a Buffer user for, I don't know how how many years, but oh, yeah. a paying Buffer user for a long, long time. Yeah. And somewhere in your analytics, you'll see how many times I use it per day, but it's, it's a regular <laughs> regular tool for me. But I, I started using it pretty early on, I guess, relatively speaking, probably when you we were definitely less than 10 people, I assume. Yeah. It's funny. We have this point in our database where we switched from numeric IDs for users to like a hash. And so um, <laughs> I bet you, you're probably one of the people that has like a, a numeric ID that's in the like a thousand or something like that. I, I would oh, I'd be curious. <laughs> yeah. Buffer, a lot of people I think listening will probably be familiar and maybe even users of Buffer. But two characteristics that are really unique about, I think, Buffer and yourself is is one, the distributed nature of your company. You know, it's been eight and a half years building distributed company. And and the other is is also you've been crazy transparent with so many things from like the, the amount of money people make to all the blog posts that you've been writing about kind of your experience building Buffer and and both the good and the bad and everything in between. Can you talk about like the distributed aspect? Like how did you, why did you start Buffer as a distributed company and, and, and why are you continuing kind of that approach? Yeah, absolutely. So we, I started Buffer in the UK and then uh, my co-founder Leo joined me pretty quickly. He was also, also in the UK at that point. Um, when we started working together, we were both in the UK, but we lived about 30 minutes away from each other by train. And so even from that point, we actually only would meet up and work together on Buffer for maybe one day a week. And so and at that, at that point, we were just using Skype chat and, and Skype calls to collaborate. Um, but it's really interesting to think that's not that far from you know how things work today for us Um as with 85 people, you know, we'd, instead of Skype chat, it's Slack. And instead of Skype calls, it's Zoom. But it's really just scaled up from there. I mean, there's been a, it's been an interesting journey for us with the choice to be uh, a distributed team. We obviously started that way, you know, maybe one day a week, we would get together. And then we both moved together to the US. It was the first time we either of us had been in the US, we went to um, San Francisco and Silicon Valley, we were there for about six months and had a really great experience there. And obviously, we were working together there. And then uh, after that, we uh, so we had an interesting situation where we were trying to get visas, but we were unable to get our visas. So we had to leave the US and we had a decision to make at that point. We were one more person at that point, so three of us, and we decided didn't really want to go back to the UK or Europe. Um, Leo's from Austria, but um, we kind of wanted to experience something new. We couldn't stay in the US um, and we just uh, closed our seed round. And so we had a bit more flexibility. I remember we just kind of, we were in our apartment in San Francisco and we kind of opened Google Maps and thought, where should we go? We ended up deciding to go to Hong Kong for six months. And then we went to Israel for three months and uh, we just kind of picked these places because we either wanted to go somewhere else or wanted to go somewhere with somewhat of a startup uh, community but couldn't go to the US. And so Tel Aviv was a great option there. But we kind of continued to grow the team whilst we were traveling and working from these places. And the first few people that joined the team were through our personal networks. So people in the UK, a couple of people in the US. Before we knew it, when we were um, less than 10 people, we were spread across you know, we were in Hong Kong um, or, or Tel Aviv, I guess, uh, a little bit after that. But and we had 
uh, a couple of people in the UK, a couple of people in the US. And then we even had someone within the first 10 people that was in Sydney. And so it just happened naturally. And then we also hit an interesting inflection point around nine people where um, we were all spread out, but almost all of us had a desire to experience and spend time in San Francisco. As several of us, we, we got our visas in the end and moved to San Francisco again. And uh, several of us kind of wanted to be there. Um, and that's kind of where it really became a true decision rather than it was kind of, you know, somewhat accidental or or just happened naturally up until that point. But that was when I personally saw it as like, oh, I need to make this decision as a company. And I got advice from several people. I remember getting advice from David Cancel in particular. He's doing Drift now at that time. I think he was at HubSpot or even before that. Um, but he gave me really good advice, which was just kind of pick either go fully remote or or go or have an office and have everyone in the same place. Um, he said it's really hard to make it work when you're in between those two scenarios. So I really took that to heart and thought through the, the pros and cons and just at that point decided that we'll go all in on being a, a fully remote team. We actually went out of our way to hire the next few people um, outside the Bay Area just to make sure we were uh, really distributed and, and not kind of ending up with people that felt like second-class citizens. Um, and then from there, we really just crafted all of our communications and collaboration tool, tools and everything around being fully remote. Yeah, that that is kind of similar to, to Product Hunt's, I guess, journey to, be, to become a distributed team in some ways, and that yeah. it was very organic. It wasn't actually any anything I thought about. I, I hadn't thought about how do we want to build a company and should we keep it centralized or should we hire, you know, across the world? It just sort of happened. <laughs> and it I, I'm thankful in part because, you know, I, I work with some amazing people and have for several years all across the world, but also from a lifestyle perspective, I've sort of adopted it myself where I, I don't think I could work at a, a nine to five job that requires me to be in an office. And and also, like, there's an aspect of, you know, a lot of companies have an office and they have no FaceTime policies, but there's still sort of this, this subjective FaceTime kind of nature of, of, of companies that do have offices, especially for management or the CEO of a company. If if you, Joel, are, to, you know, building a, a company with an office and you're just never in the office, it's kind of weird. <laughs> even if you're working remotely or even if you're working from home or coffee shop, it's just like a different lifestyle. And I, I just prefer the lifestyle being able to work anywhere. I'm I'm currently in LA this month working remotely and just as productive as, you know, I am in San Francisco. What kind of have you learned or what's been like the what tips do you have for those that are kind of evaluating maybe building a distributed team? Yeah, I guess kind of what I mentioned one maybe just start with that thing that I mentioned which is I do think it's helpful especially if you're just getting started with your company you have that option to just choose to go all in if you can to go out of your way with hiring and things like that just to spread yourselves out and that will force you to basically craft your kind of collaboration and communication architecture as a company to be done in ways that is going to be great for remote working and so everything will be documented you'll have you know it's just a lot more of an inclusive way to work where anyone can catch up on uh, notes of what what has happened in meetings things like that yeah i think other things i i do think there's a ton of benefits you've mentioned um being able to hire from anywhere in the world um i think that there's a lot of loyalty you get i feel like contrasting to maybe silicon valley um san francisco where 
the competition there for, for talent is is really wild and you know anyone working at a tech company can just step out of you know that office and be you know staring at 10 other offices and they'll all you know they've got great offers to get you so i think like there's a, a, a huge difference that happens when you i mean for us we have many many people in the team that are now at four or five six years um that they've been at, at buffer and um it's just a, a a very normal thing for us and that makes that's just a huge benefit i think that people are excited to to be around for a long time yeah i find that that san francisco and new york as well but more so san francisco and technology there's this shiny objects problem and it's and what i mean by that is there there is a lot of competition for talent and there are big companies too that can pay in some cases 50 percent more in, in terms of comp uh, above what you know, an early stage startup can afford but the the other aspect is there's so many shiny objects and there's this kind of a I feel like this false sense of if you're not moving to another job every one or two years, you're stagnant and you're not growing or you're not as successful as somebody else who, you know, on, on Twitter or Facebook just posted their new job offering they got at Google or Facebook or wherever. You know, that's not to say that people shouldn't, of course, choose or, or, or transition jobs every one or two years. Sometimes that's the right approach, but sometimes it's actually best to stay at the company. And sometimes you don't know what you have until it's gone. <laughs> I've had... I've had teammates leave Product Hunt and then find out that the 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 job that they kind of pursued afterwards wasn't what they thought it was, and um, they had some regrets. And, and you don't see that I think as much outside of Silicon Valley in particular. I agree with that. Yeah, we've had the same thing happen as well. And I think that the thing is that there's incredibly talented people spread all around the world that you can bring onto your team, and they don't have that same mentality of you know jumping to something else after a year or two and and that's a really big benefit and i think it just creates these long-lasting like working relationships and friendships and you know we do a, a retreat a company kind of retreat gathering once a year we just had our 10th company retreat actually in san diego a few weeks ago and it's just amazing i think when you do have this combination of you know, new folks that are joining, but they, you know, have that mentality that a lot of people I find joining Buffer are like, they've maybe had a couple of not so great experiences at, you know, different workplaces. They're kind of like searching for that place that they can stick around for a long time. And a lot of times they they do find that in Buffer. Uh, And then we've got other people that have been part of the team for, you know, three, four, five years. And it's just this really, a special thing when we all come together actually in person as as well um and i just can't imagine that the the same kind of feeling um from a company where you know maybe it's 80 people but you know more than 50 percent are just in their first year of, of being mm-hmm. there yeah we're uh, two hours ago in slack i i notified everyone saying hey we're going to do our our mid-year on-site here in san francisco where everyone comes together and and we'll be planning kind of the next roadmap in year ahead so we're we're in the middle of planning that that next next trip i think those are those are super important even though even though we're distributed you know i think it's good to, to meet in person every now and then one thing that you I, I feel like led to a lot of buffers early success was was really your blog and and your writing and that's that's how I first connected with you is I, I read your writing and your blog. And in fact, I, I don't, maybe you may not even remember this, but you also even offered up 
sort of like office hours or like a chance to meet, um, you know, just opened up your calendar. And I, I booked a time back in, this is probably 2011, I want to say, maybe 2012. Uh, and that's how we first met in person. And that but yeah, how, how, yeah, yeah. Okay. You do remember. Yeah. It was a uh, coffee shop in Soma, you know, that, that stood out to me and, and, and you don't see a lot of CEOs, you know, opening up their calendar that way, or, or certainly not writing as much as you were at the time. Was writing very conscious effort in the beginning? Was this, okay, I'm going to write and this is going to be my our growth strategy and, and kind of initial like content marketing strategy? Or how did you think through that? Yeah, I think I, with the initial kind of motivation to write was a lot of ways just to document the journey. And I think I did find fairly quickly that the what I was writing about, whether it was, you know, product development or uh, fundraising or even like sleep or exercise or things like that, I, I did find that other it, it resonated with other people and would kind of create these connections. And I, I think in some ways, even taking a, a step earlier, it's kind of like my starting to use Twitter came from that similar motivation where, oh, like I can share these things very easily, very freely. Um, and then it would create these connections. I've got many people that I've met um, in person that originated from replying to what them them replying to my tweet or me replying to their tweets and same thing happened with with blogging and i think i mean maybe one thing was that leo and i knew in the early days that we really you know we didn't have an existing track record or we didn't have any level of prestige of coming from harvard or stanford or uh, anything like that i mean we had like a, a lot of privilege we're both white male uh, guys but like we're you know coming from europe and we didn't really know any, anybody in silicon valley and i think one of the things that we we found was we we knew we wanted we needed to meet people um quite quickly when we got there uh, and just generally in the kind of startup community globally we wanted to meet people as well and and just i think taking that time to document and share um, became a really good way for us to to meet new people. I've also just found that I really get genuinely just a lot of fulfillment out of helping other people. So even today, I still I I just met with a founder in like a early stage founder in Boulder yesterday for a coffee. Um, and just I enjoy doing that. Um, I try and do that. Probably ends up being once a week or once every couple of weeks. I'll meet in person or jump on a, a video call and just you know chat with someone and see if I can help out. Um, it keeps me also, you know, it keeps me in contact with people that are starting the journey. Whereas eight years in, you know, it's a very different uh, kind of situation as well. And then ultimately, I think it did become, it's kind of transition morphed into, um, you know, partially a marketing strategy as well. And it worked really well that that way. Um, we did a lot of blogging on our, on on the Buffer blog. And eventually we we chose to have, two separate blogs, which we still have today. One we call the social blog and one is the open blog. The open blog is really kind of opening up about how we run as a company, um, the ups and downs there, the challenges and the, the successes we've had. And then the social blog is much more focused on uh, social media and our customers and helping them um, and providing useful resources for them. So it's been something that's worked really well for us. It's also just fulfilling and liberating to to open up and share as well. Yeah, well, I mean, and that kind of leads to to the other aspect of, that's unique about buffering yourself is how open you've been. And most companies don't share salaries of of what they pay people. They don't share their roadmap so publicly. 
there there's a lot of unique characteristics of buffer that i think i think really engender a, a sense of belonging and, and almost like they're your consumers the, the users of buffer and, and fans are sort of along long for the ride <laughs> uh, at least that's the the perception that i that i see w- what was sort of the thought process of, of being so open and building in public that way yeah, and it's it's interesting you mentioned kind of being along for the ride because we've had times where I remember in the early days it happened fairly regularly where you know we just we were growing faster than we were able to scale our infrastructure, the understanding we had for like DevOps and things like that, and so we would we would go down from time to time, and you know understandably quite a, a lot of customers are you know even angry or just upset when we're down. It's kind of you know disrupting their workflow but we would just try to be very responsive on social media and email and things and very quickly you can can turn that around and i think when you are sharing things transparently as well you're just building up that trust with customers and so very quickly those situations um completely turned around into this kind of overwhelming like support from you know uh, this huge community of customers and even non-customers, just people that are kind of cheering us on as a as a company as well. And yeah, so I think in the early days, it came from this desire to to just share more openly. And I think we found that you know by sharing, even meeting with another founder that's maybe a bit further along than we were, if we were trying to get their advice, and we just shared all of our numbers openly and everything, we could just get much more useful feedback and advice. And then they ended up opening up and sharing some of their numbers much more easily as well. So I think those are some of the things that were the initial, you, you kind of need the, the that initial win or, or that the validation to then do it more, but it just kind of kept building up for us. And we found, wow, it's got all these benefits with our customers. And then over time, we as we grew the team and we got to maybe that kind of critical threshold of like 10 people and it starts to really the the team dynamics matter and you've got culture starting to really become crafted and and things we found that being really open within the company as well was just incredibly powerful and also again builds that trust with everyone in the in the team so sharing how much we were paying ourselves with the rest of the company and then eventually that led to us having a formula for our salaries which we still have today and having all of our salaries completely transparent within the company and even eventually we opened that up to public as well it's just something that we kept finding all these benefits uh, from and it's also just nice to as a founder to not feel like oh what what should i keep secret and what should i what can i share and and once and you know that's hard enough for yourself as a founder but um imagine the person that's like the 60th person that's joined the company i'm just excited to empower them to be able to go to a conference and just share a lot of uh, stuff or, or, um, you know, meet with someone else, another, you know, someone else in a similar role at a different company and be able to actually share, you know, our numbers and exchange real insights and and things. So yeah, it's just been something and and it, it is definitely really hard at times, that's for sure. And even gets harder as you grow really just try and keep, keep in mind, um, how powerful and, and valuable it's been. And, I think it just it just feels right at the end of the day as as well. It um I think in a lot of ways being transparent is is being honest. It, it keeps us honest. It it keeps us doing kind of the the right things I feel like as well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it humanizes the company a bit too. When when people mo- most companies are, are you know people forget that they're actual people behind companies. It's not just a, a machine. But the the way that most companies kind of communicate is it feels very inhuman, and and I think that helps. I think I I struggled with the challenge of how, how much should I share, especially when things are not going well, and more internally in the company. And so there's there's inevitably really difficult times, and and sometimes you know everyone in the company is pretty clear like when when things are not going well. But how much do I shield the team is is kind of this constant debate I've I've had where. Maybe being transparent, I feel, and open about particular things isn't productive and, and why put this burden on the team and, and instead I should keep it to myself. On the other side, you know, being 100% transparent and, and open can really, I think, engender a sense of loyalty and trust, I think, longer term as well. So there's this, I don't know, I, I, I struggle <laughs> with kind of the balance of those two things personally. It's tough. I think if you lean more to, to the really transparent side you you can kind of put your team through this roller coaster journey of um, things that you're exposing them to and I do think sometimes it's my responsibility to handle certain things I think the way I try and think about it as well is one of the things I realized over time is it can affect productivity it can you know be a bit of an emotional burden sometimes for people in the team but it's also just the act of doing it kind of builds this resilience from the, in the team as well over time. And that's really powerful too. So then if something does happen, you know, that we have to get through as a team, just a better place as a, as a whole group to, to get through those things. I think one, one thing I do try to do is when I'm sharing something that could be concerning or, or alarming potentially, I try and just frame it. I think one thing I've realized is it's not just about sharing the information is or the data you know say your 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 burn rate's growing or, or something like that it's about sharing the context as well and even sharing and that i think that's what makes transparency to take that much longer as well it's not just like okay all the data is accessible it's you've got to then um, give people the context around the data and one thing i started to do as well is actually just sharing my own view of it my own opinion of like in some ways it's kind of like this is what's going on and this is how how I'm perceiving it. This is, you know, this is why it's we're going to get through this and it's it's all, all good. Or in some ways it's kind of like, uh, you know, people don't necessarily have the time or, or they're focused on other things to actually figure out how to feel about it. It's in some ways it's showing how they how they might want to um, interpret it and feel about it. Yeah, there, there is. So I think this was last year. You went through uh, an interesting transition with the company, and and you and and curious to hear kind of your take on this. And you wrote a blog post, of course. Uh, you wrote a blog post on it, <laughs> like with m- most things. But you you bought back equity from your investors, and you know that's I, I don't know if I've heard of any any company uh, startup in technology doing that. I'm sure there are probably a few of them, but uh, it's not very common. How can you share some background on that and and how you came to that that decision? Yeah. Hmm. Where do I, <laughs> where do I start from? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we raised two rounds of funding in the journey uh, of Buffer. Um, one was in 2011, so our seed round. And then uh, we also raised a Series A in uh, 2014. And by the time of the Series A, a lot of this kind of culture of remote working, transparency, experimentation in general was really kind of set down and, and very clear to us. So we went out to try and find investors that would be 
as excited about that aspect of, of Buffer as about the, you know, the, the products and the, the growth potential there. And so that's kind of how we, we, we felt like we found investors that were on board with all of that and, and, and very excited about the future. And in those conversations, we also, luckily, we were at the point where we, we were actually profitable. We didn't really need to raise the funding. And so in the negotiations, we also shared that there's a good chance we might not want to ever sell the company or go public. And so we might want to give a return via dividends, all that kind of thing. And so when we shared that, uh, the, the the lead investor suggested that we put something into our uh, into the terms of the investment that would basically allow them to get as uh, a, a certain kind of set down return by us buying back those shares. And I think it's something that's you know not necessarily it's not it's not the the best case outcome for sure, but it was something that we were able to put in place as kind of a a backup uh, in a way of like okay we have this option so mm-hmm. and was that the and and for those uh, maybe aren't as familiar with vcs most most institutional vcs are looking for you know an outsized wild return of 10 20 100x and exactly was this buyback some multiple on that or, or how was that kind of structured yeah it was a i think it was like an eight or nine percent uh annual kind of return and so that's what it was set up as and and in the in the end, we bought back and gave a forty percent return uh, over three years. So definitely much lower than those kind of like ten x twenty x levels that VCs uh, would be going for. Um, but also, when we raised the round of funding, we went out looking for investors that would be comfortable with taking a much smaller stake than VCs normally would take. They would normally want twenty thirty percent of the company and. A board seat as well and so we didn't we also didn't um give a board seat uh, at that point as well so just continued to be my, myself and leo my co-founder on the board um and then i think over time just to kind of like fast forward through where, where things went me and my co-founder started to have some misalignment and then over the course of maybe a year and a half two years and um, we really tried to dig into it a lot we realized that we actually had different views of where to take the company so he he eventually um, left which was the beginning of 2017 and then as a company i think the the market's been a really interesting situation in the last few years as well um, which has been i think affecting all companies in this space but also as a company just realized like the the culture is super important and i see this as a a very long-term endeavor and so with that the growth rates were good but not VC, not kind of unicorn level growth rates, and um, eventually got to the point where it, it just made sense to go down this path of the of the buy back scenario. And so definitely wasn't the you know most pleasant or easiest kind of negotiation and and process to go through that. But ultimately, we were able to uh, buy back the majority of our Series A investors, and in doing so, kind of just have full control over the destiny of the company now we still have um, a portion of series a investors and also all of the seed investors that are still on board and um, so we're figuring out some more pieces there i think in, in the longer run we'd love to get to a point where we can give investors that want it a more short-term kind of full liquidity option um, but then other investors let them stay on board and and 
uh, take uh, a return via dividends over a much longer time period. And I think as a company, that's that's what we're more excited about. That's, that's what I'm personally a lot more excited about. I'm I would love to keep uh, building Buffer for another ten years or, or more and see what what where we can take it and the opportunities that that we can take advantage of um, in the markets win and potentially other markets as well. Yeah, that that's, uh, that was kind of one of my my next questions was like the long term buffer plan. Is it is it you know continue for the next eight and a half years <laughs> and keep keep building as as you're building? And uh, I guess where do you see it sort of in the next five years or so? Yeah, it's definitely is is keep building, keep trying to you know solve problems for customers, build great products, give great uh, service for customers, and obviously we need to kind of manage like market fluctuations and changes and things has been a lot changing with Facebook and Twitter and drastically in the last year or two. And so for me, it's just a a very exciting personal challenge as well. Um, It's one thing to start a product and find initial product market fit and, and get traction and some success there. And then it kind of transitions from product building to company building. And, and then eventually it transitions to, you know, one kind of, problem you solve and one idea is only going to sustain a certain amount of growth in a market and before things change or that initial um, value proposition kind of becomes a commodity in the market which is something we've experienced so you've just got to be continually innovating and finding new areas that you can provide value and i think that's kind of the the stage that we're at now is what is that next wave for us you know for the in the next five years how can we add the most value to customers what is the right type of customer for us to to pursue in in that time so i think that's where we're we're seeing this you know transition even in social media instagram is a is a really big kind of force now um and when we started it was more twitter was the the kind of dominant area where we started just focused on providing value on twitter of the first year of buffer was only the product was just for twitter so now we're seeing that shift and we're realizing like we have to adapt as a company and you kind of have these new startups that have been you know got going in the last two years or or, or three years and they're really like visual focused and so i think uh, and then you know even beyond social media there's i think other opportunities where we could once we really have a clear kind of target customer in mind we can add value to adjacent areas and other other things and i think that's ultimately what you know at this point we in the last two to three years we've introduced two new products um, and that's helped us diversify our revenue streams and also and even diversify the the jobs that we help customers with um, which is definitely good for us and i think over time we might want to even diversify further potentially beyond social media Um, and so we're just trying to create a very you know a company that um, has certain values for our workplace but also values like in how we like to build products and, and the level of service we want to provide and maybe that's kind of what Buffer stands for long term. And we can take that approach to, to other areas as well. And, you know, hopefully create something that is pretty uh, sustainable and and diversified and, and, and we can get a lot more growth over time as, as well. But also, you know, create something that really can last. Yeah. So my, my, my last question for you kind of going, going along those, those lines around products is, uh, what are some products or apps that you love that that more people should know about? Are there there's some that you use? It could be something on your home screen or or something that you travel with all the time, something you bought recently. What would you like to recommend? Yeah, there's a few um, that are 
well, maybe I have a couple that are newer and then I have a few that are just kind of like really rock solid ones for uh, a while. So there's a superhuman, the the email kind of new email product, email client, really loving that. They keep improving it and introducing these features that just the, the, the level of like product development expertise there is, is, is inspiring. And uh, they keep solving problems that you're like, oh, I actually do. Ha- I have had this problem and, and now I can do this. So um, love superhuman. I think th- threads is something we've just started using as a company and it's kind of sits somewhere between email and Slack or it's kind of like a, a supercharged like forum or discussion board for the company. For us, it's completely replaced email and we also like inter- internally and we used to use discourse for internal communication as well. But basically threads is it's really based around the concept of a thread, which is kind of like an email. You can create a thread between anyone in the company and then there's spaces which are somewhat like slack channels um, and so you can have spaces for marketing or for engineering or different teams and then you can create a thread in a space as well but the cool thing is you can create a thread in a space and then add a couple of people directly if you need to that are not necessarily in that space and um, so if you need to collaborate on something with a couple of people in a different area you can bring them in and the threads themselves are like very kind of flexible and versatile for us it's become what we found is that we would often try and have discussions in slack that just didn't thrive in slack because it's very synchronous and you know it's just before you know it that discussion is gone and slack has threads but you have to start a thread with a specific message and then someone has to reply to that in a thread otherwise you know it doesn't it doesn't get kept neatly in a thread. And it's also just gone in the in the feed before you know it as well. So threads is like every it threads is more like email where every thread has a, a subject and and then people can reply in. and it has like inline replies and things like that. So we found it's email is just hard, I think, for a company because everyone gets a lot of email anyway. You've got external email going on and um CCing people and things. It's just kind of awkward so threads is neat because it's also something where someone new can join the company and just go and browse around and find all the previous discussions and they're all very like well categorized and and, and easy to find and things so i think they've it's a fairly recent like product but they've actually been working on it for a while and um, but they recently came out of you know they were, they were keeping it pretty private they were doing a lot of testing with just a small group of uh, companies for a while and then we it, we were kind of looking for something to solve this problem and then it was just good good timing for us so we jumped on uh, within a week we kind of transitioned our whole company onto it and slack usage has gone down email usage is almost like nothing now for internal emails and so it's been that's been a huge one for us okay i'm gonna check this out because there i have a use case in that this might solve for Nice. Well, where where can they find you on online? Like, where are you writing? I know you're on Twitter, of course. Uh, where where can people follow you? Yeah. So my website and blog is joel.is. Uh, so that's kind of the easiest place. And then I also have my Twitter and Instagram and things linked from there. Uh, my Twitter handle is Joel Gascoin, and so just my full name. But yeah, maybe in the in the show notes you can have the the link to that because it's pretty hard to spell my name. Yeah, I've learned it over the years. It's taken me a little while, I'll be honest. <laughs> but I've learned to learned to spell it over the years. 
cool. Thanks for thanks for coming on, Joel. It's uh, awesome to hear hear more of kind of the story too of Buffer and, and that you know. Yeah, I don't need to say this, but I will. I've uh, been following you for a long time and really respected your um, and do respect your your sort of approach to building. It's it's definitely not the norm uh, in how you build Buffer, and and I think that's one of the reasons why why you're you are where you are now. So. Yeah, thanks so much, Ryan. Yeah, it's been a really fun conversation, and I've also just really enjoyed kind of knowing you as a as a friend, meeting up regularly over time as well. So, yeah, love what you've you know, done with Product Hunt and the, just the, I think just kind of like democratizing the idea of like uh, discovering products and um, people collaborating and and like getting inspiration for building their own products. I think it's, it's been an awesome thing. Yeah, that's the hope. Appreciate it, Joel. Take care. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, share the podcast with your friends on Twitter and tag a guest you'd like to hear in a future episode. See you soon.